are bones with. The show that lives, breathes, and dies the movies and TV shows you love. We are your hosts, me, Jimmy Murphy, and with me as always, the Al Pacino to my Al Bundy, Ryan Etherington. In today's show, we'll be burying our bones with the 1987 Brian De Palma masterpiece that is The Untouchables. So join us as we move from Sherwood to Chicago, swap our tights for wingtips, take some massive liberties with the truth, and go dancing with some real wolves. Quince Offshore Fishing Trips Brought to you by Quince Bait and Tackle Shop All are welcome From Fairy Wells And 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 Dudes and Spanish Ladies No booking too big or too small Because we have a bigger boat if needed. You go in boat, boat goes in water, sharks in water. Book now for Quince offshore fishing trips at Quince Bait and Tackle Shop, south of the pier, Martha's Vineyards. Please note, life jackets will not be supplied. So do you want to kiss, kick us off with your brief love? I, I genuinely, I mean, I love this movie. It's a classic. It's, it's easily Costner's best movie, um, which isn't saying much, but it is easily his best movie. I don't remember the first time I saw it. I just, I genuinely don't. I, I, it's just, it's almost a bit like you and Jurassic Park. It's just always, always been about. I think it's like, in my mind, it's kind of intertwined with those Goodfellas, Godfather. It's, it's I mean, a gangster movies. It's, it's a gangster movie, but it's not a gangster movie, this film. Um, I love it. I, I like, it's funny watching it. Again, yes, I haven't watched it for a while. Um, I dusted off the DVD, you know. And I was like... And there was things I remember about it that aren't correct. And I think it it proper depends how you view the movie, you know. So in my head, it had like a really bad 80s synth... 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 Synth score. Jeez. Synthesizer score to it. But it's got a score by... Inonio... Uh, Inonio... Ennio Micone, I want to say. Ennio Micone, I believe it. I I literally Googled how to pronounce it. Ennio Micone. Ennio Micone or something, yeah. Yeah. Um, Who's probably more famous for... (laughs) (gasps) Um, The man with no name and all that. Um, So I remembered that completely wrong. In my head, it was, was, um, like I say, since. Um, Great movie. I mean, the cast is amazing. It's got that lovely film noir feel to it. It's it's like a homage as much as it is a new movie that takes massive liberties with the truth, as mentioned in the intro. But it's not that film. It's not a historical 
document. It's an entertaining film noir chase movie. Um, I really like it. I, I really like um, Costner's acting, his character, his portrayal of Ness, I should say, is amazing. Sean Connery steals the movie for me. It's, it's the highlight of this movie. I forget, every time I watch it, I forget how funny he is whilst being very serious, you know. Um, yeah, love it. You've never seen it before, have you? This uh, was your first outing. First outing, first uh, viewing, and I... There's a lot There's a lot to love about the film, hmm. but uh, there's also a few things in there that that detract away from it for me. So I'm definitely not in the camp of absolutely love it. I'd say probably, yeah, it's all right. That's that's probably my estimations of it, and we will absolutely go into the reasons why. Yeah. Uh, but for those who haven't seen the film, uh, so here is the the brief plot. <clears throat> After building an empire with bootleg alcohol, legendary crime boss Al Capone rules Chicago with an iron fist. Though prohibition agent Elliot Ness attempts to take Capone down, even his best efforts fail due to the widespread corruption within the Windy City's police force. Recruiting an elite group of lawmen who won't be swayed by bribes or fear, including Irish-American cop Jimmy Malone, Ness renews his determination to bring Capone to justice. This. Which is a, it, I, I listening to that. I I would go and watch that movie. Mm. Uh, obviously, I've seen the movie, but <laughs> now I have. I will never watch it again. <laughs> but listening to that, that yeah. sounds like an enjoyable movie. It's got a hook. Mm. Uh, the fact it's based on loosely, however, based on real stuff. Very, yeah. very loosely. I mean, it's, these people existed. I think is about yeah, as far as you can. They say, have the same right? name. Yeah. That's probably about <laughs> yeah, as much yeah. as it get it gets. Uh, that's a bit of a hook as well. But for, uh, I think for me, I I found it a bit hit and miss. Like there were, mo as I say, there were moments where I was like, "That's great. Mm. That's." I wouldn't say genius, but that's yeah. that's great. And then there were moments where I'm like, "Really? Is that is this what's happening now?" Okay. Uh, Such as, I, I mean, you've mentioned the score. Mm. Like, there's elements in the score where I'm like, "That's great," and mm. then there's elements where I'm like, "This is so much it's like off. it's so like." Has this guy seen the movie? It feels like there, it was written, I, and then I'm willing to bet you're at least thinking of the the Canadian horse chase scene. With regards to the score being off, one of because many. it's off. Yeah, it's a really weird choice. Yeah, uh, it's obviously De Palma. As much as he's um, homaging film noir, it's his um, western film. One of the things, and I that score is uh, hence why he's got McConaughey. Not even hence why he's got the man who did Good, the Bad, and the Ugly to do the score for it. And that scene in particular sticks out to me because it feels really off. And it's the triumphant cowboys, but it's the triumphant after the missions done song. It's not the action scene song. So I do know what you mean in respect. There are elements of the score that that stand out, but I would say like ninety ninety five percent of it is excellent. I'm not saying it's not a great score. I mm. think 
given a different film. If you know, I felt like this felt a lot like a city western. If that makes it at all, you know, it's a western set in Chicago. It's a really good analogy. Which is why I was a bit like, oh, they actually are having like a bit out in the country where it is like a western. Mm. It's almost like Mm. Brian De Palma went. I want to make a Western, but nobody wants to do a Western anymore. I want to make, so, a, I want to make a John Ford movie yeah, about absolutely. gangsters. Yeah, but yeah. There, I, it's not so much that... I think there's elements where it's like it almost goes overboard. Like there's... T- like I would admit I have a real problem where the score like tells me so obviously how I'm meant to feel. Mm. Like it's almost like, yes, I get it. I know I'm supposed to be mm. emotional or whatever at this point. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of that in yeah. here. It, it's interesting because it's interesting you mention it. Um, you're wrong, but I, I do understand why you're wrong. <laughs> so it's, it, the, the thing's twofold. My answer to that would be twofold. I definitely had a problem with the score. I remember it being synth. It wasn't. It was orchestral. But I had a problem. I remember the last, maybe not the last time I watched it, but for argument's sake, the last time I watched it, I remember thinking, I find this the, the score really jarring. It should be different. Watching it this time round, I was like, it makes perfect sense. Apart from when it doesn't, like occasionally it is off. One of the things, one of the scenes is is when it leads up to Capone's bedroom. Okay, like the that's where it feels like it's this doesn't fit what I'm seeing on screen. Because all it yeah. is, is it's like just following... Again, there's a lot of sweeping shots in this, and it's one of those kind of sweeping shots where it kind of goes from outside in Chicago and then it goes into this lovely plush yeah. say like hotel and then it goes to Capone's room. And the score, I just remember it, it feeling really like almost... A bit synthy, as you kind of say, where it's it's not synthy, but it feels like it has that 80s club scene almost yeah, kind yeah. of feel to it. And I'm like, my take on it really is fit. my take on it is this it's that overblown score that's reminiscent of Westerns, which you will get in a lot of John Ford 50s, 60s kind of Westerns. It's also playing into what a film noir score is, where they're loud and they're brash and they are in your face. So in the context of what he's trying to achieve, it's perfect. The only reason I, I'll give you, I'll, I'll let you off a little bit from, is because I know exactly what you mean. I've I've seen the film with that feeling before where I'm like, this the score's off. Didn't have it this time when I watched it. I feel like I understood the film more this time. Like, I can't remember the last time I saw this film. I've always loved it. It it sounds like it's one of those things where second viewing gets a bit kind of... Yeah, once once you're expecting it, perhaps, yeah. But like I said, there is moments, like the the scene I was talking about with the horse, there's moments where I'm like, it's not the right choice. Like I say, 90% of it for me is spot on. And it is, like you say, maybe it's a second viewing thing, but it felt like I, I understood what he was trying to achieve much more this time. You know, whereas in previous previous viewings, I have been like, oh, that's a, it's not that off. But uh, yeah, but what about the film in general? I mean, I mean, it's it's not a perfect film. I, it's an it is an amazing film for me, though. I think it's I think yeah. It's I think I kind of sum it up where I feel across the board, it's a little bit hit and miss. There's like there's great moments, mm. but there are also some moments where maybe well, maybe miss isn't the right phrase and i don't want to say it's outright bad mm. but there's definitely moments where i'm 
questioning things a little bit more than perhaps I should be. And I, you know, I think there's an element where because we're looking at creating a podcast about it, you're naturally looking for things and looking at things in a slightly different viewpoint than I'm just going to sit down and watch a film and see what it's like. Mm. If I'd have probably done that, I think I probably would have enjoyed it a bit more. Mm. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's Brian De Palma's best work. Right. Uh, I think, I think he's done some better stuff. But I can, I can appreciate why people do look at the Untouchables as being, you know, one of those types of films. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's superb. I think one I think I'm saying you it sound like I'm saying you don't understand it, but when when you un, understand what he's going for in the context of it, I think it makes perfect sense. I think it's a great movie. I think it's Costner plays um that bureaucratic um policeman esque to perfection, you know, and Sean Connery is just amazing in this movie. Al, uh, sorry, Robert De Niro plays uh, Al Capone really, really well in it. It's, it's you can see Colin Farrell's um, Penguin in De Niro's um, portrayal of Capone. I think, um, I think it's also you have to bear in mind it is a movie from 1987, and if that movie was made. 10 years later, it would be a different movie. So it, it has an, a late 80s feel to that that movie, like some movies do. Like we were talking about The Godfather the other week. And um, you said, you, you can't really get on with it. And I'm like, that film's, a, it's an old film now. Pacing, pacing of films changes. What you And what you come to expect of a film changes as time moves on. So films can feel, some films transcend it. Some films feel dated but they still work. And I think this is one of those films. It's it's nodding back to a time, but it's also very of the 80s. Uh, I think it's great. I think, like, it's weirdly not as violent as I remember it being. The the, the baseball bat scene is not... I mean, it's grim, but it's not as violent as I remember it being. I remember it being, like, like gut-wrenchingly bad. Probably, you know? probably from what you were saying, at the time, you perhaps may not have seen stuff quite like that exactly you think three years later you get goodfellas which is that is a lot more predominantly you know violent violent (laughs) quite very visceral in its way it depicts that uh i think i think part of the problem i i have with it is probably stems from the fact that i haven't seen a lot of film noir and i haven't seen a lot of westerns so therefore as you say you probably are right in saying I don't get it. Like that's <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. an accurate statement yeah. to kind of make. Like I think if I, you know, if I saw a few more westerns, I saw a few more kind of film noirs, and kind of I'd probably get it a lot more. Mm. Uh, but that that's not to say that everybody agrees with me. In fact, it looks like a lot of people disagree with me because it was quite successful in terms of the box office. So it had a twenty-five million dollar budget, which is about fifty-four million quid today. Okay. Uh, and its opening weekend, it made ten million uh, across the UK, US, and Canada. Seventy-six million made back, so it, so it tripled its budget in the US and in Canada. And that's actually the same worldwide as well, actually. So I think a lot of the the viewing power probably was predominantly kind of US base because it doesn't tend to have much difference between the the world world worldwide taking so that's about 165 million in today's coinage mm. uh 
so yeah, it's, it, particularly for eighty-seven, that's that's a that's a good return. You know, three times your budget. Yeah, which is again, we, we've done a few of these now where you look at some of the figures and so you kind of go, oh well, it's not that much. Yeah, but it is. It is. It's still. It's obviously the you know the way we look at kind of films. You kind of go, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But but these are still incredibly good figures. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was released on June 3rd, 1987. And as we said, it's been directed, it was directed, sorry, by Brian De Palma. Uh, it was written by David Mamet, produced by Art Linson. The composer was Ennio Maricone, Maricone. Uh, and I literally did write down how to pronounce it. I've just found it in my <laughs> notes. All right, so I'll give it one more go. Just give right? it one more go. <laughs> just, just for any of his fans out there who are currently shouting at us, you know, shouting at their radios. Uh, it's Ennio Mariconye. Mariconye. Ennio Mariconye. Okay. Him directing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, not directing. Uh, uh, composing the score. Sorry, the score. Yeah. And then the cinematographer is Stephen H. Burham, I be- believe is how you say it. Mm. Uh, and I think across the board, they've all worked on some pretty pretty decent films you know they're all well established Mm. in their own particular right uh obviously brian de palma has you know made some some excellent films yeah uh david mamet worked on glenn glenn gary glenn ross ronin hannibal art linson also produced fight club uh scrooged heat Mm. Uh, and obviously, Ennio Morricone has worked on, you know, lots and lots of over six hundred different credits as a composer. Some of the impressive. notables that I picked out: Hateful Eight, Once Upon a Time in America, mm. uh, The Thing, uh, and then Stephen H. Burham, Mission Impossible, Kalito's Way, Hoffa, mm. War of the Roses, Saint Elmo's Fire. Okay. Uh, Apocalypse Now. So all very well established filmmakers in 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 their own fields, and as I say, I, although although there are elements that I dislike about it, that it's a very well put together film. Mm. You know, everybody's kind of working at top level. Yeah. Which I think, whenever you do a period piece, you've all you, you've always got to be pretty on point because that's something that really really quickly will take you out of that film if it yeah. doesn't look like it should as it was or if it even, just doesn't feel genuine even, in some yeah, way yeah you yeah. know obviously i think there will be those experts in the in those time and eras where you know my, oh, da- my dad being one of them, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not the right car for that <laughs> that's era. the wrong license plate <laughs> uh, that type of thing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but even to the layman if you Oh well, why have they got that? That wasn't invented until this time. Yeah, yeah. it's going to take you out of a movie really, really quickly. So if it doesn't look authentic, you know, so that's always a always a, always a challenge. And one of the things I did like about it is how well it does just look like '30s Chicago. Yeah, not that I have much experience of 30s Chicago, but it, it looks authentic to me. I'm an amateur 30s Chicago yeah. historian, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I. I fully, fully was engrossed in that kind of time frame. Mm, mm. So, th- and that's that's half half of the battle. A lot, you know, a lot of the time of the period piece. Yeah. 
obviously we got we got you mentioned the cast. It has a it has a stellar cast. Yeah. Uh, so we've obviously got. I don't Ke- think there's a there's a bad choice in the cast. No, you know I, I mean? think everybody's yeah. a good, everybody's a great great choice. Uh, I have some problems with with some of the performances, but I still think they're good choices. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so obviously we've got Kevin Costner playing Elliot Ness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the the. Uh, Legendary Sean Connery playing Jim Malone steals this movie. Uh, the Irish cop with a I Scottish I, accent. Like, I, I, I think like this is like I said, it's um, Costner's best movie. I think when I think of Kevin Costner, everyone thinks of Dances with Wolves, Robin Hood, and unfortunately West Westworld, Waterworld, Waterworld, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think this might be Connery's best performance. I forget how really? much I think. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of one I like more. I forget how much I like him in this movie. He, he attempts an Irish accent the first scene he's in. He's trying to do an Irish accent, and then just gives up. <laughs> just goes back to doing what Connery does, which is Scottish in every dialect. You know what I mean? Yeah, he, there's a definite. And a gent shift kind of. It's really because he's got such a broad Scottish accent. He talks like my mother, but he tries to go up. But yeah, it's really with that scene on the bridge, how and off the lashon. You know what I mean? That bit, that scene, he's still attempting. I wonder if that was the first scene they shot with Connery and then went, just, just do your normal voice, mate. You know what I mean? Or whether he just went, oh, just they won't notice. <laughs> I'm sure Connery strikes me as the sort of person who's like, I'm just going to do Scottish. They're not going to know this. You know what I mean? We've we've obviously spoke about this, but I'm surprised how many people hire Sean Connery <laughs> to do a nationality other than Scottish. Uh, it's like an on-running joke with me and you, isn't it? That's right. It's like <laughs> it's like taking you, you know he's got a very distinctive voice. Yeah. So why put him in a position where he's not using his very distinctive voice? <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. half of why you hire him because yeah. he's got that gravitas in the way he he's performs. He's got a great you voice. Know. Hey, I it's, the it's, you know, I love it. I mean, it's that's it's one step yeah. away from having him play a moot character. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. too too far. Yeah. Uh, we've we've also got Andy Garcia. As I George feel like this was Stone. like his breakout role. Yeah, yeah. I want to see. He's yeah. very young. In it's this not. Movie. It's not yeah. quite his first film. Yeah, uh, but it's certainly first it's film breakout. of note. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's of, also great in this movie. I think he 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 plays. He doesn't I, have a lot to do, but he plays it well. I know? I would probably say that Andy Garcia is my favourite person in this. I oh, really because th- there's elements I really like about his 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 character and the way you know the way he kind of does it. Uh, obviously, we've got Robert De Niro as uh, Al Capone. I, yeah, I think it's one of De Niro's best performances as well. It's up there with uh, uh, Cape Fear. I think he plays Capone really well. You know what I mean? He plays him exactly how... I, don't, I have no idea, but he plays him exactly how I would imagine him to be. He plays him how he wants to play him. The scene, the opening... So it's not the first time you see him, but when he's, having, when he's getting the shave and the barber... That's the first scene, cuts yeah. Him. Is that the first time you first see him? First scene. I thought it was the second. Anyway, the first scene. Okay, in the film. cool. Yeah, yeah. It is the first scene in the film. Yeah, sorry, you're that right. That's right. It's shot, shot from the top. That's um, right. Like that. So well, as an yeah. opening shot. It's got the writing on the side of it, hasn't it? That's right. That's it's the opening what, scene. I, yeah. Again, that may be why I had some 
issues with it because for me, I don't think anything kind of ever got to that that level. Maybe elements, but I that mm. opening shot, I was like, that is that is genius. Mm. It looks amazing the way it just kind of swoops down mm. and just close. You know, I that but opening just, shot. There's, there's shots in this movie. Um, I, I noticed them a lot. I don't know what they're. I don't know what the actual term is. But like it, when he's doing like a long shot, I call it like a keyhole shot where the sides are kind of darken out. And I noticed Christopher Nolan doing it a lot in The Dark Knight. And I don't know where it comes from, but I noticed that there's a few shots in The Dark Knight, um, the second one we were talking about the other week, where I noticed it in that. And I, because I, it stood out because I'd never noticed it before. And I was thinking, oh, it's like a, like a tunnel, it's like a keyhole shot. And then I noticed it in The Untouchables a few times popping up and then I was like, oh, there's that shot again. And like, I know like Tarantino likes to talk about his department, that's my department scene. And I always think he's talking about when two things are in focus, two, usually two heads are in focus next to each other that shouldn't be when they're talking. But there's also this keyhole scene that I keep seeing, like I, I keep calling it a keyhole scene. Um, I thought it was brilliant. I think, I think stylistically, the, the movie shot, it, I think it's beautiful. I think it's, 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 I like the cinematographer's got it just right. I feel like the shots are just right. Again, like you, that I think that opening scene, when it starts and it comes down and then you get to see De Niro being just kind of gross, really, isn't he? You know what I mean? He's being that sort of vile, flashy gangster who's uh, given to a, like fits of rage. Everyone's on walking on eggshells around him and it's all perfectly done where he pauses when, when uh, the bar, he turns and cuts his own face, essentially. And you see the fear in the barber's face. And there's a, there's a moment where he pauses, he's like, don't worry about it. And then goes back into like schmaltzy mode. Hey, people want to drink. I'm a, you know, I'm the, the man of the people, me, and all that sort of stuff. But I don't, I don't think the film then tails off. I think it's beautifully shot throughout. Oh, yeah. I, I think into, when I say tails off, I mean, again, how it kind of, the, 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 the way it kind of made me feel where I immediately went, oh, that is amazing. I don't think I had that again. You know, there were points where, oh, that's pretty cool. But there wasn't like a point where I kind of went, oh, that's, that is amazing. Mm. That's genius. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've also got uh, Charles Martin Smith, who plays Oscar Wallace. Right, yeah. Uh, who was a relative unknown to me. I, you know, looking at his IMDb listings, a couple of films stick out, Deep Impact. American graffiti, but nothing really that I could go. Oh yes, it's yeah. that that dude. Uh, we've also got Richard Bradford who plays Mike, who is the uh, I suppose chief of police is what you would call him. Yeah, yeah. who genuinely has the worst Irish accent I've ever heard. So it's when quite, it's quite when shocking. you said about Sean Connery's, I was like, <laughs> it's it's not anything compared to Richard Bradford's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then lastly, in a in a breakout role, first first film role was Patricia Clarkson, who played uh, Ness's wife, Elliot Ness's wife. Yeah. I always know her as uh, that lady that Fraser Crane dates in for a few episodes of Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> was, I saw her in the film and I was like, where do I know her from? Yeah. She's and got it was one of those. driving day... me mad. And then I was like, oh, she writes haikus and plays a cello. She, it's that lady from Frasier. She's, yeah. she's got, she's one of those kind of actresses who. 
has been in lots of things, but you probably wouldn't be able to say what she's been yeah. in or even know her name. You know, I think there's quite a few people like that. Uh, and then, the, you know, the rest are kind of just all supporting parts. There isn't any really, anybody kind of like stand out other than the, the names that I've mentioned. Uh, it's interesting you say about De Niro. Mm. Uh, Cause I, I, one of the things I thought was that, I, found, I thought he got a bit lost in this. Not in terms of his performance. His performance is great. Mm. But there's not. I don't think there's enough of it. Like, oh, yeah. He's, I think he's, he's in it. He must only be in it for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, all told. Yeah. And I kind of get why, because it's not a story about Al Capone, really. No, the story is that uh, it's... Um, it's more about America the moral, at the you're time. You're watching the moral corruption of Elliot Ness. He, yeah. He, he starts off the film saying, oh, to... To Sean Connery, the angry grandpa, you know, I'll do whatever's legal to bring him down. And by the end of the film, he's broken so many laws and, and thrown a man off, <laughs> off the top of a building. Um, and it just sort of brushes it off. That, I think he literally says, I've broken every law I swore to uphold to bring this man down. But you're watching the moral corruption of a man um, in, a, in a game of cat and mouse. Because the thing is, because it's, it's loosely based on a real story. We all know how it ends. We all did, I mean, I assume you know, before you went into the film, oh, you yeah. knew that yeah. Al Capone went down for tax evasion. That's oh, why yeah, it seems yeah. that everyone knows, yeah, isn't yeah. it? So they pepper that in as a joke for the first few times he mentions it. Oh, we could we could do him on tax evasion. And he's like, shut up, mate. You know, and it's, a, it's funny because as the viewer, you're like, we know where that's going, you know. Um, but they don't over-labor that joke. They come round to it quite easily. He's like, well, how, like, I think, he mentions it twice. It's a the first two times it's mentioned, it's played as a joke. Third time he mentions it, uh, the Elliot Ness character is saying, "Well, how would we do it?" And then it jumps to it. I think about halfway through the film, they're already trying to do it. It's kind of the realization you know I mean? that yeah. this may be the only way. Yeah, you know. Uh, but yeah, I think keeping um, De Niro's role minimal, shall we say? I think it works. I mean, I would, I would always like to see more of it. But I think it works within the film. I think you get enough of him. He's he's still enough of an enigma throughout the film. You know Al Capone. You get to see him doing his show-busy, flashy git bit, you know. And you get to see him bash someone's brain in with a baseball bat and be, you know, and all of those things in between. And the, the scene towards the end on the staircase when they're arguing, I, I love that, the, the interplay between Costner and De Niro on that, and he's like, you talk to me like that in front of my son, and it just keeps escalating and escalating. It's, it's brilliant stuff, man. I think, I mean, you could always do more, but I, I, didn't, I didn't watch the film thinking, oh, there should be more of De Niro in it, you know? I think, yeah, I, I think I come, I come at it from a point of view of like, well, God, Goodfellas is kind of the pinnacle of like, De Niro as a gangster. Yeah. And obviously, he's in that film. He's great in that movie. He's, he yeah. is amazing in that. And I, I, as I say, he's mm. great in this. I think it's probably the expectation of De Niro's going to be in this a lot, and then that not being there. Yeah. So whilst and I and I whilst I whilst I, I I say I feel like there should be more, I can kind of understand why because again, whenever you're playing a real life character and a real life character who is you know a horrible human being mm. you never want to quite glorify the character to whereby people think it's cool people think mm. because it's it's very easy to kind of go down that route and I sh probably a shrewd move to go 
well, if we have De Niro playing him for, and he's in the thing for like 40, 50, yeah. half the film, people are going to be like, oh, did you see De Niro in that? He's amazing. And not that I'm saying people weren't doing that anyway, mm-hmm. but with more content and more of it, they're probably, it's going to lose the whole thing of like, I know he's based on a real person who actually did, maybe not everything you saw, but did things that and worse. Mm. You forget about that part of it. Yeah. And whilst this isn't trying to be a historically accurate thing at all, at all <laughs> uh, it's always it's always the the dangers of taking something which is based on real life, and you've got to you've got to find that happy medium between what's actually entertaining mm. and not just changing you know, things for the sake of it, which is kind of what, why I had a problem with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where they just changed everything and went this whole different route yeah. in terms of what actually happened, so. Well, I think I think with things like that, um, it just depends what type of movie you're watching. You know, some some movies are, are historically accurate and some movies aren't, you know, and it's, it's room for both for me, you know. Um to be fair, whenever you see based on a true story, the keyword is based. Chances are the closest to the truth it is, is these people existed. They're probably going to be angry when they see this film. No, like if they had the money, they'd probably sue. It's that kind of thing. Because I was watching this movie, spoilers, um, and obviously towards the end of the film, Elliot Ness throws um, the head gangster off the roof. Um, and I'm like, well, I've, I know this didn't happen. You know what I mean? I wonder how Elliot Ness's family feel about this portrayal. Do you know what I mean? Well, considering the real Elliot Ness apparently never fired his sidearm in all of his years as a police officer, kind of, you know, shows the poetic license that's kind of been used. And I I totally understand because, again, that, you know, the actual, the story is is kind of a lot more interesting than... Then the day-to-day truth of yeah. it would have been it would, would it would have been sitting in an office compiling a case looking yeah. at bits of you know mm. looking at documents they probably wouldn't well they i'm guessing they probably would have never interacted necessarily and so it you know yeah, i would have thought so you, yeah. you put that in a film that's two hours of somebody just yeah, doing their job you know work. Yeah. yeah you know what i mean so yeah. there's there, there I, mean, is, I mean you could make an argument that they didn't need to then therefore base it on any real life characters which is probably how the film would be made now but i mean either way it doesn't bother me the fact that it's made up or the fact you could change all their names it wouldn't yeah bother me, i think you know it, I, mean? it, I think it was because they they had obviously it's i don't know if it well yeah it's used it's based on the tv show it's it's the same mm. uh artistic license that you know that yeah. they've had so that, so again it's a an intellectual property that they already owned and they kind of went uh, probably a bit like what they're doing now where they're going well we've got this rather than create something new we've got this do with it what you will yeah uh, and uh, you know apparently a lot of the talk was they want initially it was just going to be a film version of the TV series which apparently is a lot more kind of 50s kind of it was a 50s TV show yeah I could imagine prime it. time yeah, type yeah. thing so not a lot of uh, grit to it shall we say mm. uh, a dragnet style tv show yeah and in that sort of and De Palma said well we'll take the name but we, we're not going to base it on you know anything other than the the very loose truth you yeah. know yeah so i think that's a shrewd move to be fair yeah i think it's great i think i mean i think it's 
the fact that it has very little to do with reality means it makes no difference to me. I, I probably when I first watched, it, I would have even known anyway. You know, I mean, I probably I would have known what prohibition was. I would have known who Al Capone was. I would have known he'd gone down for tax evasion. That's probably about it. The rest of it is immaterial to me. You're watching this. You're watching a well-crafted, well-made, well-acted, well-written uh, film. It's an entertainment fest, and it has these these little notches, nods, and winks to this, that, and the other. I think I think um, De Niro's performance is amazing. Um, again, I, I think Sean Connery steals this movie with his racist grandpa shtick. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, the, the scene just after the Canadian border run when they're interrogating the man and they throw him out of the cabin and he picks up the cadaver and sticks a gun in his mouth. I, you're probably not supposed to find it as funny as I do, but I, it's played for humour. As dis, as disturbing a thing as it is that happens in the film, it's it's so good. It's just entertainment. It's like one of those films, it's like a popcorn movie, but not dumb. Do you know what I mean? It's entertaining in the way that watching a popcorn movie is, but it's got this grit and this level of of um, fallen and, and fallible characters. You know, like Connery's a a beat cop in his. I assume he's supposed to be in his fifties. I'm not sure. He, he would have been in his sixties, I think, when he was making it. I don't know. And like, he's not interested, and then he is interested. He's like, but he brings with him this Chicago. If you wanted to, it was if if uh, he puts one of yours in the morgue, put, no, you put one of yours in hospital, you put one of his in the morgue, and all of that sort of stuff. You know, it's it's, it's just great. Uh, my wife said she found it a bit macho. You know, <laughs> it's all a bit macho. But I mean, Connery's one liners in it are great. Enough of this running. <laughs> that to me felt like a Connery decision as opposed to a script that was written in. Maybe, I can imagine it was yeah. actually meant to be a big, long, drawn out chase scene, and Connery just went, Enough of this running. <laughs> and they went, Let's put that in the film. Yeah, you know? It's possible, I suppose. Uh, yeah. I, th I, I think that this this film needs Sean Connery in it, or yeah. at least a, a an actor of the same ilk. Mm. Uh, I think without it, there's it, it kind of falls apart really. Yeah. Uh, well, he gives it soul. He gives he he brings the the soul and the heart to it, even though he is quite racist. Um, <laughs> I think most of the people in this film say some some racial stuff. Um, I think they probably is quite accurate to how people were back then. It's specifically Chicago cops. No offense to any of them, but you know. <laughs> It's how I imagine they were in the thirties, you know. Um, but it's like that great scene when he's like, "You can, was it, you can, you can carry a badge, you can carry a gun, or something." And he shoves it in a, the the accountant's hand. Carry a gun, you know. What I mean, it's just great stuff. Man, you know? uh, the one thing I will say is that I don't quite, I don't get why he won an Oscar for this. Like, I don't see it as an Oscar worthy performance. I think it's a great performance, but it, to me, it's Sean Connery. Doing Sean Connery. What, what did he come from? What, was, what were his films before this? Because I, I see it as his. I mean, this and Henry Jones. Obviously, he had, you know, he had all the Bond films and. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not great movies. No, yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, he's great. He is the best Bond. I'll give him that. Um, I think it's probably but, I mean, a case his, of his his. Where he'd, he he I imagine I'd have to look it up. I imagine he'd probably been out in the wilderness for some years at that point. 
um, I could be doing him a massive disservice. But this is pre-Dr. Jones and obviously the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and all that was much, much later. So I wonder if he was kind of out in the wilderness when this film came along. And it's like, not only is Connery back, he's excellent in this film. He's not James Bond. Look, James Bond got old and he got brutal. It's like, I can, I can see how that would lead to an Oscar. I think his performance in it is, I think he steals the, the entire film. I, 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 I totally agree. Like I relish every I, scene he turns up in. Do you know what I mean? I suppose it's one of those things of, it doesn't feel like a traditional Oscar choice. Like, mm. it doesn't feel like a, you know, for me, he's just doing Sean Connery. Like, I don't see him as the character. I see him as Sean Connery doing Sean Connery, which... Do you not see him as Sean Connery in every film he does what, in that that's case? That's what though. I mean. And yeah. so it's like a case of, well, why why this film? Pro- probably, spoilers, because of the de- because of the fact he dies in it. And, he, you know, that scene is is quite a quite an emotional kind of thing where you, like, I was going, you can't kill Sean Connery. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for me, that's kind of... Almost where... Especially because you think he's not... You think, oh, he's going to die. Oh, he's not going to die. Oh, he dies. Yeah. yeah. I thought, oh, it's going to be one of those things where he comes back at the end, in mm. which case I'd be like, why did you make... But, you know, mm. I think it's... I th- Yeah, I think he's almost... You know, uh, he probably it was at the time before he was like a caricature of himself, if you know what I mean, whereby he's doing Sean Connery and Sean Connery... You know, in I, ev- I reckon, when was Highlander? That was around the same time. I think it was 1980, time. I think. Oh, really? It's even older then. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a great performance. I can I can proper see it. It's it's pre-Dr. Jones, which everyone loves him as Indiana Jones' dad, rightly so. That He's great in that movie. The screen time he has in it. I just think he's, he's superb in this movie. I relish every scene he's in. Every time he's in a scene, you're like, this is going to be good. He's chewing scenery left, right, and center in this movie. You know what I mean? And to be fair, to give Costner his dues, just gets out of the way and lets him get on with it. You know what I mean? Because Kevin Costner's the star at this point. Yeah, you know, I had that. <laughs> Kevin <laughs> Costner's the star at this point. Um, so it'd be easy. You could, you could, it'd be easy for him to like, I want the good lines, you know, but he, he, like the, the function that character performs. Is he? He's he's like the father figure to the young mess. He corrupts him ultimately. What are you prepared to do? Sorry about that. <laughs> what are you prepared to do? That's no, getting worse. Sorry, it's getting more racist. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and he, he ultimately you see the corruption of of Ness's integrity. Um, most of that through through the hands of his mentor. Um, but he also helps him get the job done. Without Sean Connery, the job can't get done. And then he has to die to uh, further the story, to yeah, further yeah. it. Um, it totally makes sense in terms, of, in terms of the plot and, and yeah, the, yeah. the character arc of, of exactly, Elliot Ness. Yeah. One thing I uh, I did pick out with Costner's performance, mm. I'd, I'd, I didn't like it that much. I think, for me... Because I think this was... He wasn't quite a big movie star at this point. I think this was the thing that kind of tipped him over the edge. I think Dances with Wolves was a little bit later. Dances then he had Field of Dreams. Dances with Wolves was after Robin Hood, which was like 90s. Yeah. So um, I think I this think, was... I, 
I can't. I don't know if he'd done JFK at this point. JFK was ninety one. Was that ninety one? So I, I think huge. this was the first film where Costner was. Eighty nine to two years after this. So this is the film that made. So this Costner is the film that made yeah. that obviously propelled Costner into, into a, yeah. a leading man. And for me, I didn't see the Kevin Costner of later films where he's that leading man. I saw it. It felt like the shoes were a bit too big for him. Like there, were, there was a couple of scenes for me where it feels like the the raid on the post office. Now I, it's difficult because I don't know how much of it is playing that character and playing the the man who's not quite used to doing this stuff yet and how much is just because it's not believable so let's give him a, the benefit of the doubt and say it was but there's a point where he says federal officers and it's like he's it's almost like he's trying to convince himself that he's a federal officer rather than telling everybody federal federal officers are here and it, it for me it's kind of it felt a little bit like his confidence as an actor perhaps wasn't where it would be later on uh so and i don't think he's he's bad in there but i think for me it just felt he f didn't feel like a leading man here for me anyway yeah I, I think um i genuinely think you're confusing the character with the actor like that is the character that's what that is who he is at that point in that film is not he's not sure what he's doing like he turns up at the police station he's like let's go you know and they're all mocking him let's go do some good and all of this sort of stuff he's wet around the ears and Connery takes him under his wing and says right we're going to go do this thing and he literally walks into that post office going you better be right about this because he's so out of his depth at that point he hasn't got a clue what's going on and I think I actually think the opposite of what you're saying. I think it's actually a testament to his acting abilities that he's portraying that, <laughs> that he's, very he's, emotion. He's convinced me that he's not a bad actor. <laughs> That's how good of actor yeah. he is. I mean, I'm no, no fan of Costner, to be honest. I'm not a huge Kevin Costner fan. Um, I find him... I find he generally has this sort of... Um, your ang He's like your girlfriend's angry dad in most films. I get that, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's he's he has that vibe in this film as well, but it's dialed down. Maybe because he's he's a little bit younger, and he's playing a little bit. By the end of the film, he's doing that angry girlfriend's dad, angry girlfriend's, girlfriend's angry dad bit, you know. Um, but I think it's I think I mean it's, it's essentially the same role he plays in JFK. Essentially, it's a younger version of it, you know. Um, and I think it's 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 one you know certain actors like. De Niro plays gangsters very well. Also plays angry um, girlfriends' fathers <laughs> really well. When I think about it, <laughs> um, I think Costner plays this type of character very well, um, and I think this is him playing that character at his best. You know? Yeah, I mean, as I say, I, it was something I kind of wrestled with. I, I found myself questioning how much of it was the character and how much of it was just just because he, he wasn't quite there yet. And as I say, I'm not saying it's a bad performance. I think it, there's a lot to like about it. I think there were just moments where I was like, I don't quite believe that. I don't believe that that's a choice you've made. I believe it It it, it just about works. But I think that's luck necessarily more than judgment. Uh but you know, that's that's why we have different <laughs> difference of opinions on, on, on things as, as a whole. Uh yeah. Well, you look at you look at his character um, from the offshoot. You see him like he's with his wife. She's putting little notes in his sandwiches. 
Like, he's, he turns up, he tells them all to stop drinking. you got to stop drinking and all that. He doesn't realise. He's not even from Chicago, is he? You know? And he's no, like, no. he's so out of his depth. He's like, no one in the precinct likes him. Likes him. He's obviously been fed bad information. They're all laughing at him behind his back. They're, like, the whole thing is look at this greenhorn. It's the right expression. Um, and then you see his moral corruption, as it keeps saying, for, as the film goes on. And he goes from... Dewey wet around the ears to having, as he, as he says in his big speech at the end, you know, broken every law I swore to uphold to get this man. Um, I think, I think it's, I think it's his best performance. And I think, I think those things you're picking up on. I mean, maybe it's, I mean, maybe for you, it's, it's encompassing the film because the film is, is made as a homage to film the one. There's certain, certain things that, for a film that's, you know, as old as it is now, maybe feel creaky when you're watching it. Maybe that's what stands out when you're watching it, that creakiness. It's not as slick as you as you would expect. Um, but no, I think it's great. I, th- I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. There is, there are, the sleekness of it is, again, coming from someone who's watched more modern movies and has grown up with a ter- certain type of film. Mm it felt like one that wasn't quite in keeping with that and so our hands hands up and admit my faults here (laughs) but i think that's part of the problem that i have as i say i'm not saying i dislike it i think there's a lot lot to love there i think it's just there are that there are those moments where i uh, you know i I question certain things you know obviously Mm. i mentioned it with with connery where I don't really understand how he got an Oscar because he's just doing what Connery does, which is very, very good. He's doing it so well in this film, you know. But it, but he he's he's just he's just doing Sean Connery, mm. Kevin Costner again. For, I think I would have liked to have seen a Kevin Costner of ten years later and seen how that would have would have played out. I think that's perhaps where I have a little bit of trouble in the sense of I know what I kind of expect from Kevin Costner, and obviously I'm watching him at a time where he wasn't quite there yet so or wasn't quite where I expected him to be and so therefore anything where it's not that is quite jarring for me uh, but going on to a performance that I do really really like is obviously Andy Garcia who's mm. not in it a lot no he doesn't have a lot to do he's great towards the end yeah I mean he's he, uh, I lo- there's nothing in here that I dislike about Andy Garcia in this, mm. uh, which unfortunately there there's for every good thing I like about all the other characters, there tends to be a slight negative. Whereas Andy Garcia is the only one where I don't feel like that. Uh, I think his introduction is great. The way you know, give me give me your two best shoulders. Yeah, uh, and I don't know what that was by the way because it wasn't Sean Connery. <laughs> uh, and you get, know you know, Dutch. You get... <laughs> Speaking of which, he's going to be cast in a new film where he plays a Dutchman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, you get the the wet behind the ears one who like doesn't really know how to answer Connery's questions, and then mm. you get him, and he comes and comes, and he goes. He's got a you know an arrogance about him, mm. and I think it's a really it's a really uh, in a, in a very short space of time you see his kind of values and his his pride very, very quickly, whereby he's pulled a gun on an officer in the middle of a, you know, shooting a, an range. Academy. Because <laughs> he's, you know, he's been, his, his, uh, 
is that ethnicity has been questioned because yeah. he's you know he's Italian American. Yeah, and his integrity. You know, yeah, you know because of his ethnicity. And straight away, yeah. it's, pulls a gun, puts it on underneath his chin. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, I like that. This kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's and, also Dutch, and obviously the the, <laughs> the scene or the the shot just a couple of minutes before it, where you see him and he just whips out the gun and just shoots shoots the target in mm. the. I think yeah, there's just everything I like, and again, I think I think I would have liked a bit more Andy Garcia, but I think it, I just totally understand why he's not in it more. Do you think like uh, the Andy Garcia turns up, and it, and you're thinking, oh, that's the character that's going to get killed. It's, the, it's always the young, wet around the ears. He's the one who's going to get it. And then it's Sean. Isn't that just yeah, like yeah, you yeah. bring I think, a knife to a gunfight? Yeah, I think that's that's probably probably accurate. Obviously, I, I knew the, the accountant or... Not the accountant, what's the... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Oscar Wallace. Yeah. Oh, is, he, is he an accountant? Yeah. 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 Kind of gathered... He's going to be the first one to go. Yeah. Uh, I think he's great in it, actually. To be yeah, fair, it's a really good performance. I, I like yeah. the. There's a bit where, where they've just got the, out in the out in the sticks, and they've just got the, uh, the the shipment of uh, it's the Canadian border run. Right? Yeah, 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 and they've uh, obviously where they've been shooting the the barrels got the. <laughs> <laughs> got the liquor pouring out, and he yeah. kind of looks around, and then he takes a little bit and cups it in his hand, and goes, "Ah, lovely!" You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. quite good. And uh, you know, he, when again, spoiler alert, when he ends up getting it, and he, mm. you know, I was like, oh, "You know, it's coming." It's yeah, that, that tension it's, it's that building. tension. That, yeah. uh, speaking of tension, I think for me, probably my second favourite scene as opposed to, or sorry, my favourite scene as opposed to my favourite shot mm. is that, that baby on the, the baby in the pram in the train station it's on well the done, stairs. Yeah. It's like, it's agonising. It's, uh, in all the right ways. Well, you know? first, uh, when it first started, I was going, why is nothing happening? Mm. Why, and then I'm going, oh, I see. And then it's like, I'm almost shouting at the TV saying, get up the stairs. <laughs> it, like, yeah. just cut, you know. Because yeah. it, it, it I, 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 I knew you hadn't seen it. And I was watching that scene. And I love that scene. I think that scene's really famous, I think. It's famous to me. I've seen it so many times. I'm sure I've seen it lampooned a lot. I could be wrong. And I was like wondering when you are watching it, if you were going to be like, oh, is that where that comes from? Do you know what I mean? Because it's it's... It's like a well-known scene, um, but you hadn't you had no I didn't know, for I didn't it before, know anything like, about yeah. it to be fair. Yeah. And yeah, it's agonising, like I say, in all the right ways. That that scene, it's it's very well edited. Yeah, it's like it's slowly kind of. It, obviously, it racks up the tension. Yeah, but like every kind of now and again, like another layer gets added to it, mm. and then another layer, and then another layer. Yeah. And it's just, it's not me on the mic, is it? That's no, fine. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, layers so. and layers get added to it to the point where mm. it's like what, you kind of know what's going to happen, but you still kind of question because you're like, they're mm. not going to kill a baby, are they? Like, There's, Yeah. It's a, it's a weird moment where he appears to be aiming at the baby in the trolley. Like, and Costa's running towards it, and you see, I think, like, sailors 
trying to get to the the pram as it's going down. Um, yeah, it's brutal. And like, obviously, my wife is expecting, I, and and like, it's it's the, it's the strangest thing. All of a sudden, like I've seen that film many a time, you know, seen that scene. I've always liked that scene, but all of a sudden, that I was having a weird reaction. Like, I know how this scene plays out. Yeah, you know, I know the baby. It's a toddler more than a baby, isn't it? But I know that the, the child isn't going to die. But I'm still like, like even the, the opening scene when the little girl's like, Mister, you forgot your bag. It's like, that is like one of the most brutal ways you could start a movie. Yeah. It's I, so just like, it's just too much, you know? Yeah. That, like, and I don't know how much of that is I'm getting old, so therefore I'm getting softer as I get older. And how much of it is like, like my wife's expecting, and I, oh, like the thought of like like just harm coming to children f- is really freaking me out at the moment. You know what I mean? It's I think, like you're, I think much, you're safe you know? if you see Kevin Costner around. Then perhaps yeah. be like, oh, there's a danger here. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, you you mentioned the 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 not the opening shot, but the, yeah. you know the shot in the bar where the little girl with the yeah like there was like a realisation moment for me in that because I was like watching it and going, okay, what, what are they trying to do here? Who's, okay, they, they they focused in on the on the dude in the white suit. Why well, have they done that? And then he leaves. And it's like, why are they showing you leaving? What are they doing here? And I'm trying to, I'm, as you say, you as an audience member, you're trying to work out where they're going. Mm. And then you see the bag and I'm like, oh, he's left his bag, okay. Yeah, you see him, you and see then, him lock it as he walks out. It's, all, it's almost the same... At the same point where the little girl realizes he's left his bag, I'm going, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I was like, and didn't expect her to actually go and pick it up and go to the door. I'm like, oh, sh-, you know, yeah, sugar. This is, you know, this is really <laughs> yeah. kind of like, yeah. this is, it is brutal. brutal. Yeah, because uh, like in those sort of films, like you, you expect or one expects. Oh, he'll be back later with the boys. That's kind of how those scenes play out. They smash the place up. You are buying our beer because he's trying to make him buy the bootleg beer, isn't he? So that's kind of automatically where your brain goes. And then you see him obviously arming the bomb as he he clicks it and walks off. And you're like, oh. And then you see the mother later on, don't you? Very fortuitous timing just as Ness is losing heart. She turns up and says, I was her mother, you know. But yeah, all of those things. But that, yeah, it's it's all gut wrenching stuff, and it's a brutal way to to start the movie. But yeah, that that the the whole that whole pram scene, the you know the cha- at the train station, it's just so good. Uh, Garcia's great in it. You got him, take him. You know all of that sort of stuff. It's all a bit macho, but it's so good. And you know, he's when he's walking up the stairs, and you can see them coming in behind him. And he's pulling the pram up, just trying to get her out of the way. And then he won't let go of the pram because he's like, uh, it's just like, it's, the the whole thing is just tension upon tension. They say layers of tension on top of layers of tension. It's really good. Yeah, it's the bit where obviously the pram ends up going down the stairs. Yeah. And at the last minute, Garcia slides in yeah. and he just holds that position. Yeah. And then it's like, and then it's that, it's, you know, it's that seed planting earlier of like, uh, this is why this character needs to be a crack shot, you know. Yeah. And us- usually, I kind of hate that. Usually, it's kind of like mm. a little bit too on the nose. But here, it really works because yeah. it, by that point, you've you've pretty much almost kind of forgot that he's that much of a you know crack yeah. shot because he's not really in the film that much, or at least 
you know, ex, you know, mm. exploring those abilities, shall we yeah, say? Yeah, and again, it's it's the legacy of the Connery character because he turns up and says, "Who's your best? Who's your two best shots, or something like that?" Yeah. Um, talking of talking of things being on the nose, there's the one thing I don't like in this movie is when they do the what are you guys, some kind of untouchables or something. I forget these. Stuff like that winds me up. Um, it's I find it really unnecessary. Did like I like the bit where he writes touchable in blood, though. So I guess you need that to get to that scene. Um, but when they say the title of a movie in the dialogue, I find it jarring. You know I, what I mean? I, again, I, I found that a bit jarring because I thought, for me, I thought the Untouchables name referred to Capone, Capone being yeah. untouchable. Every, everyone makes that and mistake. So it's, You're not alone. <laughs> and, so, and so I'm yeah, not... Yeah. I, again, I can't... Why? So why are they untouchables? Like, mm. what, what about that group of... Because they can't be bought. Everyone else there in the go. city is corrupt. Penny drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's trying to bribe him. And he's like, yeah. throws it in his face, tell your boss I'm coming for him and all that sort of... Oh, you, you untouchable. Everyone else has been touched by mm. the, the filth and the crime see, and all see, of that. I, Even I, the judge at the end, when he's like, what did you say to him? He's like, I told him his name was on the ledger. And like, his name wasn't on the ledger. And he's like, yeah. Because yeah. I, I immediately kind of took it to mean, one, Capone is who it's referring to. Mm. But also, when he writes touchable in blood, I thought it meant... I thought, are you trying to suggest that they couldn't be, obviously they couldn't be brought, but are you trying to suggest that they couldn't be got at in terms of like, you know, you can't go and kill them because they're untouchable. So it, now that you've said that, it makes total sense. Yeah. I remember the time thinking, and as you say, when you have those points in movies where, now we're going to say the title of the movie, where it, especially where it doesn't really fit. Yeah. Like sometimes you kind of have to have it in there because it's referring to a game or whatever it may yeah. be. But here it's like... It stands out. Yeah. yeah like, it's never good if dialogue stands out. You know what I mean? Because um, you can make that film without the touchable written in blood. It doesn't need that in the film. So I could... That's I I the only bit of film I would remove per se. Like I said, I don't think it's a perfect film. Um... I do love it though, yeah. But yeah, little bits like that for jarring, for being a little bit too on the nose. But I, I always, I would put that down to the film noir homage. You know, the films that he is paying tribute to would have these creaky moments in them. It's sort of all baked into the mix. And for me, it's one of those things. Like if once you accept it, you accept what De Palma's going for. You accept the notion of the film. With, yeah, he set up his stool, and I've I'm a, I've agreed with him that this is what this is the film I'm watching. I agree with where he's going with this, and and all of those things sort of become peripheral to the enjoyment of the movie. You know. Now, everyone knows that the Bruce Willis role for Pulp Fiction was actually written for John Nettles, 
Tarantino loved his work in Bergerac and thought, that's the man I need. So he gives me a call and says, what will it take to get Nettles? I says to Tino, because that's what everyone calls him, you leave it with me, son. Anyway, first day of principal photography and Nettles flips his lid because of the lack of egg and crisp sandwiches. And before you know it, I'm called in to play Happy Families because Nettles is refusing to go back on set. I go to Tino's office and I says to him, look, you knew what you were getting. Not only is he capable of playing a my old man a detective, but he's also a firecracker. He once nutted Robert Lindsay for leaving a custard cream in his dressing room. Well, I made a deal with Tony. Slap on 500 big ones and give Nettles a complimentary coffee machine and you might just be able to tame the beast. But it was to no avail. In John Nettles' words, Quentin couldn't direct an amateur production of Blood Brothers. The relationship was unrepairable. It's a shame. The Nettles-Tarantino combo could have been something we're still talking about today. It could have been Scorsese and De Niro. Winner and Bronson. Could have been big. It could have been bigger than Target. Exclusively only on Orangutan Records, Jake Fratelli sings the classics. Shall we go through some? Uh potential castings that were talked about at the time yeah yeah this is this is always an interesting thing to me man so like, like i mean obvious without stating the obvious too much changes it, the casting is like 50 percent 90 i can't put a percentage on it but casting is so important to how a film comes out the choices an actor will make you know what I mean? It changes a movie, takes it in different directions. And some of these definitely will. So in the role of Elliot Ness, somebody who was offered the role, but declined, thankfully, Jack Nicholson. I think you, if you're going to have Jack Nicholson, it much, much more suited to Jack to Jim, well. Jim Malone's character. Well, this is 1987, but, Jack Nicholson. So you're talking just pre-Joker Batman, which I think is pre... Is it pre-Two Jakes or is it around the same time as Two Jakes? Because like, he did um, Chinatown, didn't he? Yeah. Um, Jack Nicholson. Um, but that that was and that's a sort of is it fifties thirties whenever it is I think that's a thirties movie, gumshoe kind of thing. That I mean that would work. I think that was, but that, I think by eighty seven you're, you're yeah by eighty seven yeah. you're past that. Two Jakes is the sequel to that, but it's it's a long time later. I think it's directed by Nicholson as well. So like if you would if you could pick up. Chinatown Nicholson and put him in that role, it might work. But 1987 Nicholson, I I'm seeing the Joker. Jack yeah, Nicholson, yeah. So I I can't see it. I do. I mean, Nicholson Nicholson is an interesting actor though. Like he's Jack Nicholson in everything. Like you can't get past that. I, I like what Jack Nicholson does as an actor. I think he I think he's a little bit underrated because he's always up here. Well, in a lot of his movies, he's always up here. 
Oh, he would have been doing Prizzy's Honor around this time as well. I'm going to say no, but I could see why they were thinking it, though. You know, Tom Beringer. Yeah, I, I've right, so that, sort, right, so sort of age. He would have been uh, that would have been around platoon, sort of Tom Beringer, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't think he's got the chops for it. I think it would have been too grizzled to play a greenhorn. He's you know? definitely a action star, and whilst yeah. this is an action film. I suppose it is. I think of it as like a sort. It's not like a who done it. It's more like a cat and mouse sort of yeah. film. You, it, know? you know, it's not a you know action film. Action you film, you, you yeah, know, you can have one. interchangeable yeah characters and oh sorry actors in there where it doesn't really change too much. Whereas this is kind of there's a bit more to it than just mm. explosions and you know. Yeah, it's a period piece as yeah. well. It's. Yeah, uh, it's Nick, a thinking man's action film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nick Nolte? N- uh, no, I, I like Nick Nolte, but no. <laughs> Can you see it? Yeah, he's talking about I'm Elliot Ness. <laughs> Nick Nolte. God damn it, Al Capone. That's my Nick Nolte right there. <laughs> Jeff Bridges? Again, I love Jeff Bridges. <sighs> 87 Jeff Bridges. Maybe, maybe I do. I mean, he's quite good, Jeff Bridges. Uh, so in the uh, Connery role, Gene Hackman. <laughs> no, <laughs> I can see why they. I can see why they were thinking it though. Yeah, and uh, can Gene Hackman do Irish? I mean, Sean Connery can't do Irish, so it's a moot point, really. But <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can see Gene Hackman, but I think. Gene Hackman's one of those uh, actors who I don't think he ever feels like Gene Hackman. Like it's difficult to pin down who Gene Hackman the man is, as okay. opposed to like I. Keep, when you watch Sean Connery, you can kind of get an idea of who the man is from his performances, in a way, and that's what I mean when he's he's being Sean Connery. Mm, mm, okay. Uh, whereas Gene Hackman's always that person where. Not, I don't like using the phrase "thinking man's actor," but there's, there's, <laughs> unfortunately, there's more going on where it's a bit kind of, it's nuanced. Yeah. Um, do you know who Gene, Gene Hackman to me? It's Gene Hackman to a lot of people is um, Popeye Doyle from the French Connection. He's Lex Luthor to me from the Superman movies. It's just that's how, that I was at that age. Mm. He like that was always on telly when I was a kid. That's how I know Gene Hackman. So that's who he always is to me. He's always Lex Luthor. Um, so I always sort of see him in a sort of comedy bent, if you like. I always sort of see him as a bit of a comedic actor because he plays Lex Luthor. He plays him very well in those movies. But there's a little bit of humour in there when he's playing him, especially against um, Richard Dreyfus. I think they're in the same. No, Richard Pryor, sorry. Um, I think they're in the same Superman movie together. Yeah. But I've, I've since seen The French Connection, and he's he's great in it. But he'll always be Lex Luthor to me. I, to be fair, he could play the character that Sean Connery plays really well, but it would be different. It would be very different. And, and this one will and be... And possibly have an Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> and this one will be even more different in the role of Capone. Actually, no, it would... <laughs> It, it would be almost... It's a sideways step, is it? 
So Marlon Brando is El Capone. Uh, El Capone. <laughs> El Capone. <laughs> <laughs> the Spanish Italian now, apparently. No, uh, yeah, as Al Capone. Which again, making the links between the Godfather and this, of course. It, yeah. it's a, as it, it's an easy kind of move to make. I think yeah. by this point, the a Brando had kind of got to the point where he was he was becoming Marlon Brando difficult to work with, as opposed to. I think he was there at this point when he. So you're talking like Apocalypse Now is the famous, yeah, yeah, famous thing. Like one for how difficult he was, and that's late eighties. I can't put. That might even be eighty seven. Yeah, up there. it's and so, you know, there, and so yeah. you know, as you say, you're making worth the effort. At that you're making point, a yeah. decision that you're going to have a. Di you're going to have to hide a lot of. You know, you're going to have to accentuate the positives and hide the negatives when you get Brando in yeah, to do. And write all of his you know, dialogue down on cue cards. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, again, I, to be fair, I I can't see anybody else other than De Niro playing Al Capone. To be fair, no. uh, I mean, for De Niro, you you got to wonder how much. He, how often he was just going, oh, it's, an, it's another gangster. Because, I mean, he's played a lot of different characters. Um, had but he I mean, it obviously, feels like he's played a lot of gangsters. I mean, you know I mean, I'm just trying to think. So, obviously, he was in The Godfather Part 2 yeah. as a young Don Corleone gangster. Yeah. Had he done any other gangster films? Ah, oh, let me think. Raging Boy, he was a boxer. I'd have to look it up. I don't think I, th I don't. No, this may out. have started the trend of having him play gangsters and things. Yeah, I that, think you might be right. I'm going to probably because it. they went, "Oh, he's Al Capone." The, the, you know, in pop culture, you know, the pinnacle of gangsters. Yeah. So he can play any gangster because he's he's already done the pinnacle of what gangsters are. So that probably is be. where that's kind of started from. Let's have a look. Oh, man, I, he's made a lot of films. Many he probably shouldn't have bothered. No, no offense. <laughs> <laughs> Analyze this. <laughs> and oh, the Ronan. sequel analyzed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, less said about it. I actually didn't mind analyze this too much. Um for what it is, it's just like a goofy movie, isn't it? You know what I mean? Right. Oh, he's in the Deer Hunter as well, wasn't he? Oh, he's so good. As I said, apart from Don Corleone, and even then, although he's playing a gangster, it's not. No, no, I'm trying to see. I mean, like, obviously, Taxi Driver, he's not a gangster, you know. So I think this this could have been that started the trend of him playing just gangsters. You might be right. Well, not, not yeah. just gangsters, but essentially oh, being the go-to guy. His go-to, yeah, 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 as you say, the go-to uh, guy. For and it, you can see why it'd be on that point, because as, you, uh, as yeah, I've I said... I think you might he, be right looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm going to stop staring at my phone. <laughs> 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 it makes great podcasts there, so I went, oh, hang on, she's got a text message. Um, no, I think you're right. I think this may have been, once you've played Al Capone, you can play any gangster, yeah. And another another name, uh, Bob Hoskins, which <laughs> he pops up a lot, doesn't he? Yeah. Bob Hoskins. I mean, I I can see it, but is he going to do his Mario voice? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of those things where. I mean, I know his Mario voice is New York, yeah. right? And we're talking Chicago. Is it going to sound the same though? I don't. I don't want to. I mean, I like Bob Hoskins. He's all right, but 
whenever, whenever, because he, he seems to come up a lot in these sort of um, casting decisions that weren't made when we do these. And it always seems to be playing some sort of like gangster adjacent or gangster-esque character. And I always just think, what's his accent going to sound like? Because he's got such a good Cockney accent, Bob Hoskins. Yeah, it'd be like, can you imagine? Like, I can't think Michael Caine has ever done... He must have done a bad American accent, Michael Caine, right? He must have I, I would have thought earlier in his career. He I must thought have. So. But, right. you know, he's like the equivalent of Sean... You know, he's like an English Sean Connery, whereby he's got such a distinctive voice. But luckily, nobody seems to have put him in a role where they've gone, let's make Michael Caine and then a list of nationalities who he's not going to be able to do the accent for. So you're going to be like... Why, why have you got a Cockney Spanish dude? Here end the, f the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I'm from Rome, don't you know? Uh, Father of a murdered, murdered son. <laughs> and now I think of Husband that, I want to see wife. that film. <laughs> yeah. I will have my revenge. As I say, there's you know there's all the a lot of names that were kind of thrown around for Elliot Ness. Mm. What without going into too much detail with all of them, I'll just I'll just kind of spur them out, and you can say yay or nay. Mm. Alec Baldwin, yeah, Nicholas Cage. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> so Nicholas Cage, we're talking racing Arizona. We're gonna Arizona get Al Capone. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Uh, Woo. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we're talking raising Arizona, Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Nicholas Capola. So yeah, no, it's it's a hard pass from me. Michael Douglas. I could see that quite easily. Yeah, yeah. Falling down, Michael Douglas. Falling down is obviously much later, but, mm. you know, he plays button down. He can do that, can't he? Left field choice, Rutger Hauer. I see Rutger Hauer much more as a villain. Mm. I think he has he has the right face of a villain. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there. Ed Harris. How old would Ed Harris have been? Uh, a young Ed Harris. Yeah, I could see it. Obviously, William Hurt, we've spoke about. Don yeah. Johnson. Don Johnson. Miami Vice. I mean, him and Kevin Costner are very similar looking now, I think about it. Yeah, I'm going to say yeah. And it was height yeah. of Don Johnson. It would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah, Miami Vice. A peak. lot of people will probably hear Don Johnson and go, who? Because other than Miami Vice, he hasn't really done a lot. He's recently done like Knives Out. And a couple of other things. I've seen that film. I don't remember him in it. How bad is it? Was he in the first one? Yeah. Oh, right. Uh, but he, he's one of those ones that had a, a very, very brief starlight and then kind of phased out very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, if you'd have taken this, maybe. We was could... he offered it? Or was he just in the running for it? I'm going to say in the running for it. Yeah. I, wouldn't, I don't know if he was offered it. Uh, Michael Keaton... No, I just see him. This is like two juice. years before Batman. Yeah. So no. <laughs> <laughs> Mel Gibson. No. Christopher Lambert. This is the same year as Lethal Weapon. Yeah. No. Christopher Lambert. Highlander. Um. <clears throat> no. Uh, Stephen Lang. Who? Uh, 
I only know him as the blind dude in Don't Breathe. Of course, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. A young a young Stephen Lang. Yeah, yeah, sure. Here we go. John Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> Pay him, Peter, and his money. Um. <laughs> I mean, he will forever be the man with that accent yeah, for me. I love it. Pay him, his money. He beat me. He beat me fear. Pay him. Pay me and his money. Apparently, was it we and you were talking about this? We right? were, yeah. And he said he looked at um, uh, Matt Damon. Matt Damon went, <laughs> give a little nod, like, I know what I'm doing. And Matt Damon was like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? Uh, for anybody who doesn't know uh, what we are referencing, uh, go and see Rounders. Uh, and I mean, the, you will the, soon find out. Like that, I mean, you know, you could just type, pay that man he's miani into YouTube, I think it comes up. But um, the fact that he looked at Matt Damon and went, yeah. Like, that just makes me love it even more. Oh, it makes me love John Mack. I'm just going to say yes, just for, just for that performance. Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to say all of these are purely based on the fact of their movie stars, as opposed to, we actually want this person for the next four names. So is it like, Rather than their suitability, it's just for the names. Yeah. yeah. Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> no. We're going to get Al Capone. Uh, <laughs> no. What? That's, no. I think, <laughs> I think it was just... I think no. it was two executives no. going, right, who's big at the moment? Well, we've got Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> no, let's not go there. I've broken I th- every law I swore to uphold. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get this man to the chopper. Sly Stallone? Oh, no. It would only work if his uh, uh, wife's name was Adrian, unfortunately. Al Capone! <laughs> no, hard pass. <laughs> uh, John Travolta. Uh, no. It's no. very difficult when you have, you know, uh, and it, it's 87 John Travolta <laughs> yeah, as well. So that's um, Look Who's Talking period, John Travolta. That was 90s, I think. Was it? Yeah. Oh, wow. This is, what are we going to do with John Travolta the period? wilderness years. Yeah. Uh, he was off doing Scientology for a large proportion of this Jeez. stuff. Uh, and Bruce Willis, which <sighs> no, I like I like Bruce Willis as an action as a, uh, as hero. A, you get. A fi- I think he's a great comedic actor. I don't think he gets enough comedic roles. Mm. Um, he's got he's got too much personality. He's got too much Bruce Willis to be Elliot Ness, isn't he? You know, I mean, he'd be like smouldering and cool. You know, what mm. I mean. Oh, Bruno. Now, um, this name, I think, would be... I think he's a great actor, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of people only know him for certain roles, but James Woods... Uh, I think he's also known for being a bit out there as well, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I think he could do it. Um, um, uh, yeah. Unfortunately... I'm not sure it's a good fit, but I think he could... I think he'd be serviceable. However, I think anybody who's seen Scary Movie 2 or 3, where he plays the vicar, <laughs> it's yeah. very difficult to come back from yeah, that as in a serious that, role. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, going through those names, it's kind of it's always really interesting, kind of thinking about how different things can be if you just put somebody else in the same role. Mm. Even even roles, even uh, sorry, actors who are very very similar, there's still a huge amount of difference and. I'm fascinated by some of these sometimes because you go, what you know, what on earth were people thinking if that That's was the thing? A... Sometimes you can see it. Sometimes you're like <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, just it, beyond comprehension. Sometimes, isn't it? But uh, like you say, even if it's a close fit, it changes. Can change a film so much. You know, a couple of things that I found out. Well, some research in this, which I thought was quite interesting. So obviously, we spoke about. Obviously, this is based on true story uh loosely well albert h wolf who is the at the time was the last survivor of the real life untouchables was a consultant on the movie and helped kevin costner with his portrayal of elliot ness that is interesting you know that's when you kind of go so how would elliot have thrown this man off (laughs) (laughs) well he was left-handed for a start uh yeah. Oh, that's interesting, man. It's it's always yeah. nice when people go. It's just a little bit more detail, you know. What I mean, just a little bit more, a little bit more mm. pepper in that sauce, you know. Well, speaking of going into more detail, so Robert De Niro insisted. Obviously, we know Robert De Niro is is a method actor, mm. and I, I'd like to say he's a method actor before people used it as an excuse to do Terrible bad things, things to people yeah. and be just an. Oh, yeah, I, saw, know, I can't remember what it was. It was some Jared actors. Lowe. Who was what? Jared Leto being. Doing oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. On the set of Morbius, yeah. like, who cares if that's a realistic representation yeah. of a man? Yeah, who I can't remember. A someone said, "Why is it always? Um, why do people always when they're saying, oh, it's just me, my method, like method actors? Why is it always an excuse to behave like an a hole?" You know, and it's never like, it's really nice to work with on that film. That's my method. In real life, I'm an a-hole. But, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, but yeah, like Jared Leto most recently would be quite famous. I mean, Jared Leto on The Suicide Squad, I think is is disgraceful as well. Uh, there's the, the story's coming out of Morbius. I just, I, I, mean, I would have let him pee himself. Quite <laughs> I mean, yeah. Again, it's it's also sometimes when you look at it and go, does that role really need a method actor? You yeah, know? It, it's, it's... I was going to say there's nothing worse when you watch the role and it was for nothing. All that behaviour was for nothing, but I, I, don't think that's, I think that's probably a bit flippant. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying where it's like, you're in a Marvel movie... What are you yeah. trying to achieve? I don't when I, when I said that I don't mean in terms of the behaviour that you you have on set. I mean just in general, like as a as an acting choice. Let's say I'm an actor, which I have studied acting at a university. You know, <laughs> uh, I would if I was going to do method acting, I would do it for a role where I was like, this needs to be authentic. Where it felt required, you know, yeah, something like a Schindler's List or you know, that type of role or any type of role in that kind of context. But mm. when it's when it's for Morbius it's or like the Joker, it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it becomes, you know, a little bit it's, a, li- it, a little it, bit it of an excuse. It starts coming across like um, pretentious. Uh, mass, yeah, yeah, massively yeah. pretentious. But it's like what what roles do you think you're playing in like in your head? Like you can you not get the roles that require this level of commitment, not the behavior, but that level yeah, of yeah, commitment. Yeah. 
um, so you're doing it on this toothpaste commercial instead. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we've diverted, but Robert De Niro actually insisted on wearing the same style of silk underwear that Al Capone wore, even though he knew it would never be seen on camera. Uh, the producers, knowing De Niro's reputation as a method actor, gave in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I've never heard stories about his terrible behaviour, and I hope no. I never do. Uh, I think that level of method is fine. It's yeah, like, can think, you get me some silk panties? <laughs> I mean, like, it's, quite, it's actually quite interesting whereby a lot of people who use method acting in inverted commas actually have a really warped view of what method acting is like mm. it's actually not what people think it is it's it's kind of evolved into being is it like more you draw on your own experiences where you you get inside it and you so that, you bring up those emotions so my stuff. understanding of it is and i could be wrong but when it says you know you become the character mm. the way in which that was spoken about by the uh the uh acting theorist Stanislavski uh he he, t he talks about in the scene he doesn't talk about it you then become if you play a milkman you become a milkman it's not what it means it just means you yeah. you are authentic in the scene so you do things that that character would do right in the on. scene yeah. which yeah. is where it comes you from don't and take that, it home with you yeah that's yeah. then kind of come that's like the, the famous one is um Dustin Hoffman isn't it in Marathon Man where yeah, he, yeah. he slept rough for like I don't know how long, and then went and had a load of dentistry work done without anaesthetic, and came in and was like, hey, "This role's killing me. I can't carry on." And uh, Lawrence, is it Lawrence Olivia, Olivia? Yeah. try acting, dear boy. It's much easier. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Try acting. It's like, yeah, man, jeez. Uh, yeah, uh, so I, I, yeah, silk, silk panties. If that's yeah. what you need, mate. It, oh, he right. also managed to track down uh, Al Capone's original tailors and had them make identical clothing for the movie. All right, on. Uh, which again goes to some way to explain why it was nominated for an, uh, an Oscar in best costume design. I kept staring at his teeth. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Like, did he do something to his teeth? I think he just Probably. coloured them in. Probably. Yeah, we painted it them. sounds like a De Niro thing. Yeah, I was like, because uh, they look more pointy. Like, they just look different yeah. in his mouth, you know. Yeah, he. it's weird. You kind of, you see De Niro, but you also don't at the same time. Like, there's glimmers of him, but it's mm. actually, it's not quite just looking at Robert De Niro. Yeah. One uh, really interesting thing, actually. So, apparently... So the voice in the radio broadcast program to which Ness's family was listening to in the living room. I know what that is. I, I don't like know who the voice is. I know what they're listening to. So the voice apparently is George Carlin. I did not know that. The the well-known American comedian. I just assume, because I, I, I'm pretty sure it's Amos and Andy that they're listening to. It's supposed to sound like Amos and Andy, which is... It's like the radio equivalent of the black and white minstrels, I believe. My understanding of it. Really? I, I noticed it when it was on, and I was like, well, that is what they would be listening to. But that's kind of... It stood out to me because I recognised the voices. Um, and I'm sure he keeps saying Andy. Now, maybe they didn't have... Because he, he keeps referring to the other... One of the characters, he's calling him Andy. And I'm like, I think that's Amos and Andy. Maybe they didn't have the rights to it, so they got George Carlin. I think it, it maybe it skirts just close enough to it to not have to pay the royalties. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I just genuinely assumed it was a real broadcast. Yeah, apparently it was George Carlin. Wow. Uh, which is one of those little-known or 
very unknown trivia things where you go, that's pretty cool. Like, mm. just... You're like, I hope that comes up at some point and I can look really smart. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that was interesting as well. So the... I didn't mention this earlier, but what, what another one of my favourite shots mm. is the shot when they're in the church and you've got that side-on shot of his face. That's what I always think yeah, people yeah. talk about when they talk about the, the Palmer yeah. shot. Yeah. Uh, that shot is, I think, is 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 amazing. I think it's really, yeah. Again, it it doesn't necessarily a lot a lot of the time with shots, it doesn't necessarily add anything to the story, but it just looks visually impressive. It's a visual medium. Uh, but that whole scene apparently was originally supposed to take place on the streets of Chicago, and Sean Connery had the idea of saying he, they wouldn't make this oath on the street because they wouldn't be able to trust who's listening in. So the, mm. so he suggested the only place they could do that is in a church. That would be the only place they were safe. Yeah. So that, you know, that very much becomes something very different, all because of uh, the, you know, a, a comment or, a, you know, a suggestion from a from an actor. And, I, you know, those it, things it, sometimes... It gives it something. It, they're yeah. in a church. They're it, moral, upstanding men in a church. It, it He's suddenly playing with becomes his... a little patron saint a police thing in here yeah it becomes a little bit more meaningful as opposed to just something that's quite th that could be quite throwaway adds that little bit of depth doesn't yeah. it that's right yeah and it, you know there's lo lots of kind of things like like that in, in film in general whereby you hear you know actors making suggestions and going why don't we do this and then it becomes an you know, an iconic scene and it yeah. could have quite easily been something completely yeah. different. They'll, they'll be doing it in uh, rehearsal where they're just blocking the shot and it's a throwaway and the director's like, oh, we'll keep that. Yeah. yeah. So apparently there was there was due to be, or there was at least discussions about a sequel. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, entitled <laughs> The Untouchables <laughs> Capone Rising. Uh <laughs> That's got that's got studio greed written all over it, isn't it? You know, like if there's ever a film that doesn't need a sequel, it's uh, this. He's yeah. gone to prison. You don't need to know any more than that. <laughs> so it would be a pre it's got to be a prequel then, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like uh, like with with only Robert De Niro from the cast in it. Maybe Sean no, Connery. No, no, Sean no. Connery come back. So apparently, it would be a young Al Capone. <laughs> And another again, he was this this guy was mentioned again, Nicolas Cage playing Al Capone. Uh where, yeah. I mean some I mean I know it's a different time and obviously I think of Nicolas Cage as uh, yeah. the bees, oh. the bees type Nicolas Cage. Uh oh god, not the bees. Yeah. Um because yeah, he hadn't he hadn't transitioned into full Nicolas Cage at this point. He was still Nicolas yeah. Cage. But he hadn't gone full. Because I saw, I saw a thing about his acting style, and I, I can't tell you what it is. But it's based I on something. I can tell you what it is because he's quoted what it is. It's based on like uh, I want to say. <laughs> no, Nicholas Cage has come out and said his acting style is Nicholas Cage acting. <laughs> it's like he's got you know, it's it's a thing of its own. It's not a real thing. It's only something I can create. Right. And it's like if have you seen? I can't think what it's called. The new film where. He, basically plays, plays himself. himself. Like, it's not like killing Nicolas Cage or something yeah, like that. Like, important, being being Nicolas Cage something or something. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. I've seen it. And it's Is like... Is it good? Is it's, it entertaining? It falls off in the, in the... From like halfway through. I think I it starts off happens, quite so. well. Yeah, yeah. And then it turns into just a kind of standard thing. Yeah. It's, you know, 
I know Jean-Claude Van Damme made a film called JCVD. JBG. Yeah, that's it. I've yeah, not yeah. seen it. No. But Did this you see is his TV t- show where he played himself? No. It, I, it actually wasn't bad. Fair enough. But I mean, did, I, actually, the first episode wasn't that bad. But as I say, Nicolas Cage has got to that point where <laughs> only Nicolas Cage could make that film. Yeah. It's like, again, he's a, he's a caricature of, of himself yeah. and it's difficult not to associate that with him yeah. at any point in his career. Well, you know, the thing I, think, I saw was that he he based it on a Japanese... I'm sure I'm going to... I apologise if this is wrong, but I'm sure they said it was based on a Japanese style of acting where and they explained it and made it sound like a genuine thing on this. I have no idea. I think it was on a program on Netflix. I'm not sure. But I heard someone say that he's like, he said to them, someone was acting opposite him, and he said, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You do what you want. It makes no difference to my performance what you do. <laughs> I'm just going to do what. I... And so he already has it. He said, like, no matter how you're acting, he's going Nicolas Cage, you know. Which is, it's must be incredibly frustrating to work opposite. I've been in situations where, not quite to the same extent where somebody said that to you, but I've been in situations where you're playing opposite somebody mm. and they're just doing whatever they kind of want. And what you're they've going, decided, like, beforehand. Yeah. It's like, this is not what we discussed. <laughs> and, yeah, incredibly it's, it's frustrating. Like, it's like method acted, only... <laughs> instead of being the character it's like the opposite. you are a character <laughs> yeah, it's like full circle method you will be Nicolas Cage at all points even when you're acting yeah. you know I think I mean? for me there's like a turning point in his career and I think it's the scene in Face Off <laughs> where he tries to act crazy because it's actually John Travolta's John Travolta, character and, yeah. he, and he kind of looks yeah. at the I can't he looks at somebody and he does this thing with his eyes and I'm like that's it. That's, that's the turning the, point. That's, that's where I think thing. he started to then go full Nicholas Cage. <laughs> like he, in his eyes, he unlocked his potential. Yeah, because uh, there's is it the scene where they're taking drugs and he's just like full Nicholas yeah, Cage in just, that scene, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> he's know. like I'm I'm having a nervous breakdown whilst high, whilst trying to be John Travolta playing me, and it's full Cage. <laughs> So I think we've uh, we've we've said in a long way, absolutely not right to play a young Al Capone there. Uh, uh, yeah, and absolutely not. That's that movie. The fact that they want to they wanted to even considered making that movie is just such a Hollywood thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it almost makes me a little bit angry. Even though I'm not, as you say, a massive fan of this film, mm. it's like. Again, which you are, which it, you are one hundred percent wrong about. Uh, uh, <laughs> you are a massive fan <laughs> of this film. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing where you go, "This is this is somebody looking at numbers on a spreadsheet, making a decision, 100%. as opposed to mm, does that make sense?" You it know, does, again, we average sequel will make X amount. Yeah, if we make a film for this market, this we could still walk away with a tidy profit. It's like, yeah, but. Human beings. Yeah. You always ask, can I, not should I? <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of the impact of this film, what do we think? Well, I mean, as I've previously said, I think it's it's one of, if not the best role for both Costner 
and Connery for me. Um, interestingly, until you pointed it out, it's the film that pretty much set De Niro on the path he ended up on, which is like, I'm going to say gangster number one as a shorthand. Um, I, th- I, I, without looking it up, I'm just going to go out on a, on a limb and say it's probably the renaissance of Connery's career. He won the Oscar. Um, I'm, I'm willing to put money on. He was probably out in the wilderness a bit before this film. I think I think you're probably right there. I think he, he, this certainly kind of brought him back into the spotlight. And if you look at things he'd done after that, where after you know two years later he's doing Last Crusade, mm-hmm. Hunt for Red October, you know, The Rock with Nicholas Cage. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 ninety-seven. So ten years later. Ten years. Like, yeah, it's but, all it's yeah. all it's all post. Yeah, I you know, um, obviously it's the film that started Costner on his path to bankrupting whoever it was he bankrupted with Waterworld. <laughs> well, <laughs> was I, it? Was tell Waterworld? You what. They made a theme park as well. They were that sure it was going to work, right? They well, made a Waterworld theme park. Interestingly, in that, so looking at the figures, so the actual film itself, Waterworld, yeah, yeah. Made money. Interesting. It wasn't. It wasn't co- the flop that you think it, wasn't, it was. Yeah. Obviously, in terms of quality, it was. Uh, in yeah, some, no one, no one liked it, but lots yeah. of people saw it. But in yeah. terms, you know, it made its budget back and then some. It was a successful film in terms of commercial revenue. Obviously, if we're then looking at, you know, in terms of it potentially being a franchise, you know, merchandise and things like that. Mm. Perhaps that's where the money was lost. Am, but... I mem- am I remembering it right? They were good. They built a theme park, or they were going I, to. Yeah, like... I heard something about yeah. about that. So I'm that's, sure that's right. That is probably where... that's where it went <laughs> yeah, wrong. You yeah, you know, they kind of yeah. over anticipated yeah. it. But you get, I mean, you get JFK from this. This is practically yeah. the same performance. You get Robin Hood, which is he does in an American accent throughout the entire film. I seem to recall it's quite good. Alan Rickman's uh, great in that movie. Yeah, you know at I mean? least he doesn't claim that that's how they would have spoken in those times. This Alan is what Russell old Price, English sounds like. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I think it's great. I think I love... Uh, uh, yeah, I love this movie, as I've said several thousand times. Um, impact, I don't... I mean, I was going to say, other than those things we just mentioned, like they're not important. I think that's quite an important thing. Like, all those careers were were either uh, given a shot in the arm or changed the directory of a lot of... Trajectory, sorry, of a lot of people's careers after that. And um, what did Palmer, did Palmer go on to do after um, after The Untouchables? So looking at his... Uh, I don't know what specifically was straight after, but he went on to get, do Carlito's Way and Mission Impossible... So it's uh, I wouldn't. He was probably already there in terms of. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But yeah. you know, he went on to make some good work yeah, afterwards yeah, as he well. Wasn't, he wasn't done. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's a good movie. So on that, I think further watching. Obviously, we mentioned just a couple of films there. So Carlito's Way, yeah, uh, Mission Impossible. I think for me, I think it's it's kind of. A city kind of western, as I mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you're not, you know, you can watch probably most. I say most westerns, having not watched a single one. Mm. Uh, 
but the, you know, a fistful of dollars and things like that, unforgiven, those kinds of films. And you, it, there are elements that, that you will kind of make uh, comparisons to. You'll be able to find the connections. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then in terms of gangster films, obviously you've got Goodfellas. Yeah. Which is only three years later. And one of the, for me, the all time greatest gangster film of all time in Goodfellas. Goodfellas, 100%. Uh, also it, based on a true story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, lo- you know, looking at, you know, some of the actors in here, if you, if, if you, if you like, uh, Sean Connery's work, we mentioned The Rock earlier. He's great in that. Mm. That's what I kind of mean when I said earlier about he's probably doing it less so in this, but it, it's not too much of a step from what he does in The Untouchables to what he does in The Rock. He's that same kind similar of... Character. It's similar character. That, that father figure sort of character. Yeah, it? and that it's kind like of, the, the you know, the I've been around the block and yeah. I know what I'm talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. Great line in I that. used to be James Bond. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'd, I'd suggest going in, in that kind of direction. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, further watching, I, I put, I'm thinking like uh, Casino, if you want to watch um, De Niro be De Niro. Again, Goodfellas for more... Um, De Niro gangster and just for more general gangster stuff it's not period but it's um, but he says it's arguably the greatest gangster it's movie. not arguably it's, it I is I don't know I'd have to think about it well, I think it is well. I think it is I would have to sit down and proper like, I'd have to chalk it up in my head but off the top of my head I 100% agree with you I think it is I think it's my favourite for sure it's like a like I like films like Scarface Goodfellas is definitely better than that, you know? So, yeah, Goodfellas is great. I think um, JFK, if you want to see Costner being the same character again, JFK's, again... Set aside a lot of time, because yeah, it's, it's long. It's three, three and a half, yeah. nearly four yeah, hours. Three and change. Um, I, I, I put it also, all, I put it on once. Also, very loosely based yeah. on a true <laughs> story. <laughs> uh, I once put it on and had a nap what felt like days, and it was still on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it set aside some time. That, I think that's probably why I've never managed to actually sit down and properly watch it because yeah. you've got to have a, essentially a whole day free. Yeah, yeah, you're going to want a pee break. Yeah, um, I think I think a, a natural successor to this film and possibly actually a better film is L.A. Confidential. Um, a period piece, very film noir, um, retrospective sort of homage again. I love that movie. I think it's great. I think it's, that is, um, what's his name? Russell Crowe's greatest role, I think. Um, Guy Pearce is great in that movie. Mm. Uh, Kim Basinger's great. It's I it's think, you know, you, you said earlier, you know, if, if, this, if The Untouchables was made in the 90s, it would have been a different film. It would have been LA Confidential, most probably, in, yeah, you know, yeah, in theme point. and feel, yeah. you know, not in terms of story. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think you're probably right there. I think it's great. And I think if you want to see, if you want to see someone else attempt uh, a Western, but not in a cowboy setting, you're talking Inglorious Bastards by um, Quentin Tarantino, or Bastards, because that's a, a Western set. I've as never a, heard a, that sound so West Country Western in my life. Bastards. <laughs> Glorious bastards. Bastards. Because um, that is a Western set. It's a, no, sorry, it's a World War II film made as a Western. Um, so it has a, a similar 
feel almost, even though they're very different movies. Um, but yeah, I think check out any of those choices. I, don't, I think you're onto a, a good night's viewing. Yeah. Forgiven for thinking you're uh, listening to a Spaniard ordering a beer on the Costa del Sol. He could almost feel the sun beating down on his uh, bullfighting cape. But what you were actually listening to was me, Sean Connery, displaying just one of the uh, many accents that you two can uh, master at the Sean Connery Dialect School for Actors. Now let me transport you to a, a Cold War era Russian submarine with flawless Russian dialect. <clears throat> this is my boat now, Captain Phillips. That was magic. You can learn this and many more at the Sean Connery Dialect School for Actors. Here in the fashion. So that was Bury Our Bones for this week. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Please don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us in all the usual social media places as Bury Our Bones with. So please do come by, say hi, and send us your comments. Until next time, I've been Jimmy Murphy, he's been Ryan Ethington, and this has been Bury Our Bones with The Untouchables. <laughs> So that was Bury Our Bones with for this week. That's not right, is it? So that was Bury Our Bones with The Untouchables. <laughs> it's written in front of me. I should just read part of it. <laughs> it's just the way it's like, is that where it's going to end, is it? <laughs> That's your podcast. Bog off. Yeah. yeah. No, right. <clears throat>